I am. Two words spoken by Jesus a number of times in the Gospel of John. We're going to look at that over the next several weeks to get a better understanding of who Jesus is. Jesus was the most unique person that's ever lived. Uh, He was both fully God and fully man. Fully man in the sense that he hungered, he thirsted, he got tired, he hurt. All the things that you experience as a human being, temptation, Jesus experienced all of those things. But Jesus is also God, God in the flesh. All the, all the attributes of God confined in that body. Of course, Jesus couldn't display all of them. For example, he couldn't be omnipresent, which means you're everywhere at once because he was confined to a body. But he was still all-knowing. He was still all-powerful. He could walk on water. He could still uh, the storm. He could cast out demons. Jesus was God. And God and man came together in that person. And you may believe something about Jesus. You may think Jesus was a very, very good man. A lot of people look at Jesus as one of the greatest uh, religious leaders that has ever lived. And while that seems like a a very nice thing to say about Jesus, I like what C.S. Lewis once said, that you can call Jesus um, a a liar, you can call him a lunatic, you can call him demon-possessed, but you cannot call him a good man because he never gave us that option. That either either he was what he said he was or he was something worse. See, Jesus said he was Lord. Jesus said that, In order for you to be forgiven, you had to trust in him. Jesus said that in order for you to have life beyond the grave, you had to put your faith in him. Nobody would say something like that unless they're crazy or God. And so we're going to focus on who Jesus is because there's something very powerful about the name of Jesus. There are names of products, names of services that we've come to know and trust. So when you're looking for a good car... And you say, I want to get a really good car, reliable car. Uh, what's a name you can trust? We've, we've, we've all got those. Nobody said Yugo, did they? Right? Yeah, we look at BMW, and we, we look at these cars that have a standard. They're probably more expensive, but you get quality with it. If you want a watch, you want, want a, a watch that not only keeps time, but a, a watch that's enduring and, and a watch that's, that's quality, you think of a Rolex. Um, when, you, when you think, uh, when I was buying tires for my car when I was in college, I was recommended, you know, you need Michelins. You know, those are really good tires, you need Michelins. Um, I, you know, I, I, I thought that a purse was some leather with zippers on it. I just thought all purses are the same. But no, <laughs> I, I, I've come to understand that there are different kinds of purses. And if you want a really good purse, ladies, what's a good purse name? Brand. Yeah, I don't know what they are, but you do, Right? And shoes and, and pants and food. You want a great steak? It's Ruth's Chris Steakhouse is a great steak place. You want to stay at a wonderful hotel? It's going to cost you a little more, but the Ritz-Carlton is first class. I mean, there, there are names that you can trust. When you want something, you say, yeah, I, want it. I want something, I want quality. There are names you can trust. And I want to tell you, Jesus is one of those names. He's a name that you can trust more than any other name you've ever heard upon this planet it says in Psalm 9, verse 10, those who know your name trust in you. And the reason sometimes we struggle with trust is I think we just don't know the name well enough. The more you know the name, the more you understand it, the more you can trust. And so Jesus revealed himself in some very unique ways, and we're going to look at that today, at how Jesus' name actually ties both the Old Testament and New Testament together. And, and here's what I found. The more that you know that name the less you'll stay the same. The more you really understand who Jesus is, the more it changes you. 
And that's our desire for you, to come to know Jesus. We, we don't desire for you just to have a church experience or have a religion. We want you to know Jesus. That's why we exist. And I really believe the more that you know this name, the more you'll trust him and the less you'll stay the same. A lot of us are due for change. We want to be different. We want to be better than we've been. We want to be happier than we've ever been. And the key is Jesus. So I'm going to ask you, if you'd open your heart today, to allow God to speak to you through his spirit, to call you to whatever he's calling you to respond, to surrender whatever it is he might be calling you to surrender today. Would you be willing to at least ask God to do that to you today? Father, we come before you today. We ask you to touch our hearts, to speak to us through your word with this amazing truth of who Jesus is. And Lord, call us to trust. Call us to put our faith in you like never before with the issues we're going through. There are many in this room that are struggling with issues and struggling with doubts and struggling with with the past. And I pray, Father, that they would know that Jesus is someone they can trust. In his name we pray, amen. We're gonna spend... um, the next two months in the Gospel of John. And in, in John, John's a unique um, book of the Bible. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar. They, they actually have some of the same stories repeated in each of their Gospels. But the Gospel of John is very different. It has a lot of unique material. It's as if John had a whole different um, perspective of what he was looking for when he wrote down his recollections of his time with Jesus. And one of the things he recorded were these um, seven statements that you just saw on the screen a little while ago. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Uh, I am the good uh, shepherd. I am the door, the gate. I am the, the true vine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Um, all these um, nouns, and we're going to look at those the, the next several weeks of what they mean and what they show us about Jesus, but every single one of those starts the same way. Two words. I am. I am. And you don't want to miss the power of those two words. See, John actually mentions it one other time. It's in the eighth chapter. Jesus is in a dialogue with the Pharisees. Those were the religious leaders of his day. And they don't like who Jesus is. They don't like what Jesus is saying about himself. They don't like what Jesus is doing. They don't like the following he has. And so they believe that Jesus is a Samaritan, that he doesn't belong to their tribe, or they believe that Jesus is demon-possessed. And so we, we, we come to the story in John chapter 8. Jesus says to these religious leaders... Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, Abraham was the key figure of the Old Testament. And, Jesus, and Abraham was the recipient of a covenant from God, a covenant where God said, Abraham, I'm going to call you out of your land to go to a new place that I will show you, and I will make your name great and your people great, and out of you will come offspring who will bless the whole world. And so they always took pride in the relationship with Abraham. So Jesus says, okay, you guys, you guys put a lot of stock in your relationship with Abraham because you're from the bloodline of Abraham. Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. Abraham looked up to me. And, and so they're not quite grasping what Jesus is saying. So they said, well, you're not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. They picked up stones to stone him. Why? Was it because Jesus used some bad grammar? Before Abraham was born, I am? Or was it because Jesus was saying something that to them was so offensive that he was actually identifying himself 
not only with God, but as God, which was a crime, according to their law, worthy of death, which would be true unless Jesus were telling the truth. What's so powerful about him saying, I am? We have to go back, actually, through the Old Testament to another story, which is really where I want to spend a big chunk of time today, a story of God and a man named Moses. Now, Moses was born... uh, amongst the people of Israel when they were in captivity in Egypt. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, there were several generations that were, um, that were slaves of Egypt. They helped to be, build the empire of the Pharaoh. But God gave favor to the people, and they got married and had babies, and the number of the, of the Israelites grew, grew so frighteningly large that the Pharaoh realized if we don't put a stop to these people, they're going to grow so large, they're going to overpower us. So he decided to enforce tougher working conditions upon the people, and he also demanded that every newborn boy be thrown into the Nile River, where, of course, they'd be eaten by crocodiles. So one of the Israelite women has her baby, and she she just can't fathom putting her child in the river, so she makes a little basket and puts some tar around it so the basket will float, puts her baby in it, and then sends the little basket floating down the river And then someone follows that, watching in the bushes to see what happens. Well, Pharaoh's daughter goes out there. Pharaoh's the leader of Egypt. She goes out there, finds his basket, picks it up, and hears his baby crying, and it melts her heart. She she can't stomach the thought of putting that little baby in the water, so she she takes it and says, we're going to keep this one. And the woman says, you know, that that baby needs to be nursed. We could do that for you. And so... So the baby's nursed and actually raised up for the first couple years of life in the culture of, her peop- of his people, the Israelites. And then Potiphar's daughter takes that child, raises the child, calls him Moses, which is very similar to the, to the word to draw up from the water, calls him Moses, and he grows up in royalty. Yet when he's an adult, something happens. He, he watches a couple of Israelite slaves um, be treated brutally by one of the Egyptian um, masters, and Moses goes after this guy and kills him, buries him in the sand. And then he realizes that, that his life is going to be on the line, that Pharaoh's going to be upset with him. So he escapes, goes off into the wilderness, lands at a place called Midian, ends up marrying a woman there, settles down, starts to raise a family. So this is many, many years later. Moses is in the wilderness, and he has this encounter that you know is the the encounter of the burning bush. It's an encounter that changes everything. And I'm going to start with verse 1 of Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, from with, uh, was on fire it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. This is a pretty terrifying event. Moses sees this bush that's looking like it's on fire, but nothing's burning up. There's probably no smoke, but 
Uh, it's, it, it's got his curiosity, so he gets closer, and then a voice. I kind of picture like in The Wizard of Oz when, you know, Dorothy and the Scarecrow and Tin Man, the lion, are all standing before this, and the great and awesome Oz, you know, is speaking, and they're trembling. I figure Moses is, here, is hearing that voice like that, and he's, he's trembling before God, and, he's, and, he, and, and he says, here I am, and he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, Mo, and, and Moses Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And you know, back then they didn't have Bibles to read. All they did had was oral stories, to- stories they passed on from generation to generation, um, stories that they would tell. So obviously through the course of Israel, they had to start telling the story of Abraham. Oh, God, God visited our father Abraham and he brought him out of a land and he gave him this incredible promise and then, and then uh, Abraham was an old man and finally had a little boy as a son. His name was Isaac and God blessed Isaac and the covenant got passed on to Isaac and then Isaac had a, had a couple sons, Jacob and Esau and Jacob was, was the one that actually um, got the inheritance and Jacob became the, the line of, the, of favor and the covenant passed through him and Jacob had sons, and they became the tribes of Israel. And so those stories got passed on uh, from generation to generation. So when God reveals himself, I'm that God. The, the God that was the father of your ancestors, that's me. I am speaking to you, Moses. And he's terrified. So the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So all along, God says, I've been watching. I've been seeing what's happening to my people. I've been hearing their cries, and I'm going to do something. I have a promise that I made to bring them to this land of promise, this this land of bounty and the land of safety, and I still intend to get them there. So I'm going to do something, and Moses is waiting to see, wonder what God's going to do, and what God's going to come down with, with power and force, and God says, no, I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want you to go back to the man you thought was going to kill you and tell him to let my people go. You know what's interesting is we often look at the kind of people God picks to do his work, and God typically does his work through people, that we think it's the talented, it's the educated, it's the, it's the gifted, it's the courageous. It's, it's the people with all these great qualities. They're natural-born leaders, and those aren't typically the ones God picks. If you go through Scripture, you find God often picks people who failed in life, who have low self-esteem, who don't feel they're very gifted or capable, and God says, good, um, you're not able. You're, you're lacking in ability. And I'm not looking for your ability. I'm just looking for your availability. Are you willing to let me use you? That's what he's looking for in Moses. Not that Moses is eloquent, he's powerful, he's got political clout. No, he just, I want an average person that I can work through. And so that's why you and I have to always be aware that God is, is looking for people who are just average. One of the things I love about college basketball, I had the privilege this week of going to the first three rounds of the Big Ten tournament in Washington, D.C. with a good friend of mine. We had some frequent flyer miles to use up and, and went there and watched the first three days of the games. And um, there's such an energy in college sports. And I think it's because they don't have the superstar that's paid millions of dollars 
You, you, you got kind of average kids, 18, 19, 20-year-olds that are playing their hearts out. And most of them will never play professional sports. But there's so much energy in the room because when you see like average people excel, it's very exciting. And I look at the church oftentimes and I look at the people that the world might consider pretty average and normal, but God is using them to accomplish incredible things. Because God doesn't want you to be glorified. He wants to be glorified. So you and I are going through our lives and a story is being written. Either the story is about you, meaning you're trying to make your name great, you're trying to create a legacy for you, you're trying to let other people know how wonderful you are, how successful you are, or you're writing a story about someone else, that story about God. See, there's, you can either produce your own movie where you're the hero, probably a low-budget movie, probably a movie very few people really want to watch, or, or you, can, you can accept a supporting cast role in the most epic production that's ever been put together, the one that God is doing. And it's not about you, it's about him. Amen. But it's a story that's going to be played and a story that's going to be applauded for millennium to come. Wouldn't you want to be part of that story? So, so just like Moses, we're being invited to be part of that story. Moses replies and says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? There, there's part of the problem. Who am I? I, I am a nobody. I am not gifted. I am not capable. And God said, I will be with you. That's the key. I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What am I going to tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. God reveals himself. In a very profound way. When Moses says, God, you know, if I go there and, and the people then say, like, well, who, who sent you here? What am I going to tell them? Up to that point in biblical history, and you could read, read the name of God in the Bible, you know, God created the heavens and the earth. God is the, the word Elohim in the Old Testament. It's a, it's a word that just refers to a generic God. And that's just much like our word God today. When you say God, we think of the Christian God, but people may think of other gods because it's a generic term. This is the first time God said, okay, I'm going to tell you my name. My name is I am who I am. I am who I am. It's actually four letters. When they're put in, in kind of our alphabet, it's a Y-H-W-H. Y-H-W-H. There's no, there's no vowels in there. It means to be. It means I am. It means I've always been. It means I cause things. So I am. And over the course of time, when, when God revealed himself by that name, that name, it's called the Tetragrammaton, it is used almost 7,000 times in the Old Testament. But most of the time, you'll, you, you don't see it as, as those letters. In fact, sometimes people will insert vowels in there, so they'll make it like Yahweh, Y-A-H-W-E-H, 
Or some will say Jehovah, because sometimes the Y can be like a J and the W can be like a V. So you can make a sound, it could be Yahweh. Uh, we don't know. There's no vowels in it. So the, um, the Old Testament Jews thought the name was so reverent they would not speak it. So they put another name in its place, the name Adonai, which means Lord. So they would say Lord instead of this unspeakable name because they didn't really know how to say it. So they didn't want to mess it up for fear they'd get judged or killed. So they would say Adonai. So if you look in your, in your Bible, you'll find in the Old Testament, on occasion, the, the word Lord in all caps. Again, it's almost 7,000 times. So you see it in a lot of places. All caps. Where you see that is Y-H-W-H, Lord, Yahweh, I am. And so God is revealing himself and says, this is how I will be remembered through all generations. That is my name. So you can see when Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am. How that would be so offensive to them. He's saying, I am the God who revealed himself. What Jesus is saying, I'm the one who spoke from the burning bush to Moses. And so they're, they're freaking out over that. They're ticked off over it. How could you, a person in a body, be the same one that's, that was way back then in the Old Testament? Yet Jesus was fully man and fully God. And his name is above every other name. We don't call him I am. We call him Jesus. But you need to understand that's who he is. And when he, when he says things like I am, he's saying I am the God who revealed himself as Yahweh. One example is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. There's a promise that says this, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So God is coming. It is the Lord. And in my Bible, it's all caps. He is coming. It is Yahweh coming. Who is he? Well, John the Baptist tells who he is because John the Baptist quotes this to introduce Jesus. And so when you have a Jehovah Witness come to your door and say, Jesus is not God, yes, he is. Scripture is pretty clear that Yahweh is referencing Jesus in the New Testament. So Jesus is God. And so we're told in the New Testament when Paul wrote to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2, this powerful, powerful statement of who Jesus is. It's a, it's a hymn, a little part, part of a hymn that gets um, quoted in this passage. It says, Therefore God exalted him, meaning Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is who? Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So what does that mean when you think of I am? I am. Well, one of the things that just comes to mind immediately is that Jesus is eternally existent. He doesn't say before Abraham was, I was. Because if you say I was, it's like there was a point of beginning. Jesus has no beginning and no end. He's the Alpha and Omega, says the book of Revelation. The Alpha and Omega. Um, the one who is and who was and is to come. He's, he's always existed. So before this earth even existed, Jesus existed. Before the heavens were made, by the way, they were made by Jesus, Jesus existed. Things will fade away. Things will die. Things will be destroyed. Yet Jesus will continue. You, you can't kill Jesus. He lives forever. He's eternally existent. It also means that he's forever present. He's always in the present. See, we live by the clock. 
We just had daylight savings time. Thank you for getting up and making it to church. The person that normally sits next to you probably slept in this morning, okay, if they're not here this morning. So we, we keep our lives measured by the clock, by the time. We have before and after and hours that go by. God doesn't live by a clock. He, he's always present. It's always in the now. That's why he could say before Abraham was, I am. I always am. I always will be. It, it means that he's never changing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When he says things like, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's saying, I'm consistent. I'm that same God that they had, the same, the same God that spoke to Abraham and your father Isaac and your father Jacob. I am the same one. You saw me powerful for them. I'm powerful for you. You, you, you saw me speak to them. I speak to you. It's the same God, same God. He doesn't change. And he's forever faithful. The covenant that he made when God makes a promise, he keeps it. I don't change. I don't forget what I promised. I fulfill what I said I would do. He is all those things because he, he is the God who is I am. And you and I have to come to two great realizations. Number one is, is understanding first that I am not. I am not good enough. I am not strong enough. I am not wise enough. I'm not kind enough. I am not skilled enough. I am not. And you might think, well, pastor, it sounds like a pretty, pretty negative message of all the things I am not. I'm just telling you that's the reality. I am not everything. I cannot be the center of the world because that's not what I'm able to do. I can't carry the burdens of the world on my shoulders. I can't heal the people around me. I am not able to do that. I am not. That's the first realization. But when you know that, you come to the second realization. I am not, but then I know I am. I know I am. I know who I am is, and it's Jesus. And, and I am is able to forgive, and I am is able to heal, and I am is able to impart wisdom. I am, I am is able to make me capable to do the things he's called me to do. I am not, but I know I am. And Jesus invites us to know him, the I am, in an intimate way. He invites us to know him intimately, to have a personal relationship with him. And here's what I know to be true, that he has a name that you can trust. Jesus is a name you can always trust. And some of you right now need to be reminded of that truth because you're going through some very difficult things in your life, some real, real, real tragic situations in your life. And you wonder, is anybody paying attention to me? Is, does anybody notice what's going on in my life? And God is saying to you, I am. When you're crying out, is there anybody that can help me? Anybody who's going to lift me from my mess and pick me up out of my despair, raise me up? And God says to you, I am. Is there anybody who, who, who loves me in spite of what I've done? Anybody who, who's able to forgive me? He says, I am. Is there anybody who can, who can give me the wisdom I need to make this decision? Because I don't know where to go and where to turn to. He says, I am. When you're dealing with the hurt and you wonder, how can I heal from this? How can I get over this issue in my life? And, God, and you cry out to God, is there anyone who really can help me? He says, I am, I am, I am, I am all that you need. I am all that you desire. I am everything you're searching for. It's found in me. I am who I am. So that you can be what called you to be.